Reminding us of the value of the Old Testament Scripture as well as the New, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. Through the Old Testament, the pictures, the types, the shadows, how he's worked with very normal people in very normal situations in very supernatural ways, that brings comfort, that brings encouragement, that brings hope. The scriptures, the Old Testament. But you know, it's very discouraging to me as a pastor to find so many people and so many churches avoid the Old Testament. You might even hear them say, we're a New Testament church. And that's all we follow, the New Testament, when indeed God has inspired the entirety of the scriptures. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You The Bible is the cradle where Christ is laid, said Martin Luther. Wesley is quoted as saying, Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. Hello, and thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we continue in Romans chapter 15, we'll hear more about the high value of the Bible, beginning with the limitations of alternatives many turn to. Here is Pastor Ed. Well, when tough times come, where do you turn? Because when it comes to Christians and difficult times or tough times, you know by now that it's not a matter of if they come. I mean, if that's your mindset right now, well, if they come, they might come, they might not come. Let me just say, you need to change the way you view trials and tribulations and tough times. For the believer, like anyone else on the planet, it's not if they come, you know, it's when they come. And when they come in your life, where do you turn? I've been around long enough serving the Lord and as a pastor, as a lay leader, to find a lot of people turn to a lot of things when tough times come. I mean, it's just their natural response. Uh, difficulty comes, there are those that turn immediately to the bottle. It's their habit. Oh, that surely will numb the pain. That surely will make things better, only to find out that the bottle makes things worse, not better. Maybe it's not the bottle for you. Perhaps in your tough times, you immediately process them and your first response is, I need another relationship. That's my problem. I need somebody in my life. I've got to have somebody to share the burden with me. I've got to yoke together. And what that has done, though, it has taken you from bad relationship to bad relationship to bad relationship and indeed not making things better. It's made things worse. Oh, maybe it's not relationship for you. Perhaps in a time like ours where there is all sorts of anxiety going on, I have met people that say, I know it's tough times, things are rough. I think I'll trust in some politician. That's what I'll do. The government will help me out. The government will take care of me. Some new president, some new senator, some new person that will stand in the gap and help me with some program and some help only to find out that your help isn't found in a man, isn't found in a system. Your help is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if your first response is not to turn to him, you're going to find even more trouble, more difficulty. I've met people that trust in their riches. They have a lot of money. God's blessed them. They they have a lot in the bank account. They've got a pretty secure job. Their business is very, very blessed and booming. And so they begin, oh yeah, tough times come, but things are good. Tough times come, but things are good. Everything's fine. Only to find the bottom fall out. 
I lose everything in a heartbeat. Because God doesn't want you to trust in riches. He doesn't want you to trust in your paycheck. He doesn't want you to trust in man. He doesn't want you to trust in an organization. God, he wants us to trust in him. He's our sufficiency. That's a lesson he's always teaching us, isn't it? And it's interesting because you go through the scriptures, you come to find that God has ordained words to encourage you. Did you know that? God has ordained words. His word. His written word. We're going to find in just a moment. His written word is an encouragement to you in tough times. Do you turn to it? I mean, when tough times come, is that your natural reaction? I'm going to go to the word because I know I'm going to find help in time of need. It's going to take me, not only the word is going to encourage me, but it's going to take me to the very author of the word. Is that where you turn? He has not only ordained the written word to help, but he's also ordained the spoken word among believers. So that when you're with each other and you're ministering to one another, you start speaking the word of God to each other and there's comfort and there's encouragement and there's strength. Notice with me, Romans 15, pick up in verse 4. Paul's writing to the church in Rome and he says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. You notice it's two times he uses the same word. Whatever things were written They were written for, and you can circle this, three things. They were written for our learning. Because every time we open the Bible, God has something to teach us. We're constantly learning, aren't we? The Bible teaches us how to learn to love God. The Bible teaches us how to learn to love one another. The Bible teaches us how to extend grace to one another. The Bible teaches us how to receive grace. The Bible teaches us the pathway unto salvation, the forgiveness of sins. We all are learning, and we have a lot more to learn. I love the Word of God. Not only learning, but that we, through the patience, you could also write next to that perseverance, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. God has patience and comfort and teaching and hope available to you, church, in his word. Where do you turn in tough times? Have you developed a habit of turning to the word? Have you developed a habit of running to the word? Have you developed a habit of absorbing and memorizing his word for comfort, for encouragement, for perseverance? You know, as Paul's writing this letter, I really don't think he realizes that he's writing the New Testament. Do you? I don't think he has any idea that what he's writing is going to become a part of the New Testament. What he's doing, he's just obeying God. He's obeying God put on his heart to write a note to the struggling church in Rome. He shoots it off. He doesn't really see the big picture. He just sees what's before him. You know, it's a good principle for us that you want to grasp, and it's this. Sometimes God will lead us to a step of obedience without telling us the full story. Just do this now, here, right now. Oh, but Lord, what about, what about, what about, what about? It's like a little theme, you know? And before you what about it, you don't do it. Because you never really get the answers that you're looking for because those what about questions are all really ways to get out of it. Like this trip to Egypt for me personally. I am not a traveler. I really not. It's not my heart. I love to be home. I love to be home with my family, with my wife and my kids. I love to be here ministering. That's just my calling. That's what I do. I love it. My heart just leaps with joy when I send people out. That's my desire. You know, the first time Egypt came around, I said, hey, Dave, I'm sending you, man. Go out there and check it out for us. And he did. He's a blessing. And then when this time came up, the Lord just really impressed upon my heart. It was very instant. Ed, you've got to go. And you know, my my first thought was, are you sure? (laughs) Because I'd much rather just send people and get a great report back. But it was very clear. The Lord wanted me to go. I made the decision. It was over. Once I made the decision, that's it. But you got to love this. Right before the trip, my mom calls. 
Do you know how dangerous it is in Egypt? Yes, mom. Do you know you might not come back? Yes, mom. Do you know how crazy thing? Yes, mom. I've been watching the news. I know, mom. But God wants me to go. Yeah, but do you know? Yes, mom, I know. But I need to go. God wants me to go. And I know it's just motherly love, but it was also her thinking too much. She was thinking about it too much. Full of anxiety. What about? What happens? What if? And my answer to her was simple. Mom, thanks for caring, for calling, but I'm going. Pray for us. Give you a report when I get back. We think things too much. We think them into the ground. What has God called you to do, and why aren't you doing it? Is it just a timing issue with him? Okay, then wait on the Lord. But could it be a disobedience issue? Well, you're just not willing to obey today, even though you don't have the full picture. Or God's laid something before you, and you can't see the big picture. You're thinking it, thinking it, thinking it, and by the time you're done thinking, the situation has passed you by. It's too late. Paul's writing this letter, and he has no idea that God's going to use this forever and ever and ever. It would become a part of eternal scriptures because God is inspiring Paul as he's writing it down. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Who knows what God's going to do just by our simple obedience. So if Paul is writing the New Testament, when we come back to verse 4, what scriptures is he talking about? You know what they are? They're the Old Testament. That's what brings comfort and hope. That's what he's referring to in context. This is the Old Testament. That through the Old Testament, the pictures, the types, the shadows, the glory of God, how he's worked with very normal people in very normal situations, in very supernatural ways, that brings comfort, that brings encouragement, that brings hope, the scriptures, the Old Testament. But you know, it's very discouraging to me as a pastor to find so many people and so many churches avoid the Old Testament. You might even hear them say, we're a New Testament church. And that's all we follow, the New Testament, when indeed God has inspired the entirety of the scriptures. That the early church, when they were gathering together in Acts chapter 2, and they're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of Jesus, were being substantiated by what? The Old Testament. When Peter goes to quote something, what does he quote? The Old Testament. When Matthew writes his gospel, what does he quote? The Old Testament. And so here at our fellowship, here at Calvary, we study through the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Right now on Wednesdays, we're in Joshua. We study through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And we'll go to Judges after that and continue to study the Old Testament of what God wants to teach us as a church. But I know how it works, you know. You have started off the new year and you've got your little Bible reading system that we put out or you might have your own and you get through Genesis. It's easy, isn't it? Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. You get through Exodus. That's a little rocky, but not too much. But then you get to Leviticus and you're like, what in the world is this? Very unrelatable at first glance. You're flipping through and there's pages and pages and even in numbers of names and names and names and names. And then you just say, forget it. I'm reading the New Testament. Because I don't get it. I don't understand it. Just just think about this for a second, just by way of application. God reserved just a 66 books, certain pages, certain words for his scripture. And yet he has listed page after page of name after name after name after name after name. Why? Well, I'll tell you. I think God wants to teach us that he's very interested in individuals and in people, in you. Oh, so God knows their name. God knows your name. Right now. What you're going through. What you're facing. The joy that you're experiencing, the tough times, God knows your name. 
And okay, some of the names are difficult to pronounce and they're difficult to read, but read them and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. The Old Testament, it's through the scriptures that we find hope and patience and comfort. Don't ignore the Old Testament. There's no book on earth like the Bible. Hey, flip over to 2 Timothy. Let's pause here for a second and look at a very important doctrine. A doctrine that's essential to us as believers. And that is we believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of God. That the words on the page are literally God-breathed to you and to me. I want to show you something in 2 Timothy. It's going to be to the right there. Chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 14. You know, Jesus himself claimed to be the theme of the entire Old Testament. He did it five different times. He did it in Matthew chapter 5. He did it in Luke chapter 24. He did it again in Luke 24 with those two on the road to Emmaus. He did it in John chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 10. As he's teaching, he's pointing back to us and saying, look, here's a picture of me. Here's a type of me. Here's a prophecy of me. It's, it's amazing. Inspired of God. Notice chapter 3 verse 14. Paul's writing to young Timothy as he closes up his letter and he says, but as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. So what is the Holy Scriptures right there? Okay, it's a pop quiz. You ready? What is he referring to? The Holy Scriptures would be what? That's right, the Old Testament. Now you get a context as you're reading through. He's saying, look, Timothy, you were taught. He said earlier it was his mother and his grandmother that taught him the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament. He says that you've learned them which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Just circle that word inspiration. That's where you could write God breathed. Just like God breathed breath into the life of Adam's body, so did he breathe his own divine life into the very words of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That phrase literally means carried along by the Spirit. And so all of Scripture is inspired. God breathed. Men, holy men of God, were carried along by the Spirit as they wrote these notes and these letters. And notice there's four things if you're a note taker that the Bible is profitable for. The first one is for doctrine, it says. Doctrine is the Bible teaches us the truth about God. That's where you find truth. Truth is found by God teaching us through his word. When you open the word, when you open the scriptures, it is profitable to teach you the truth about God. Number two, it's profitable for reproof. Now we're not too excited about reproof because reproof is teaching us what's wrong. It compares our life with the truth of God. And when we're reproved, God is wanting us to repent. And so the Bible teaches us what is wrong. The next one is correction. The Bible is profitable for correction. I love that because when God reproves us or brings something to light, he doesn't say, hey, man, check this out. This is wrong in your life. You got to deal with this. Make sure you figure it out. Tell me when you get there. But instead, he says, hey, you got this issue in your life. And then he brings correction. And correction teaches us how to make wrong things right. God wants to teach us. He wants to disciple us. And then the last thing that the Bible is profitable for is instruction in righteousness. And instruction in righteousness helps us to stay right. That's what the Bible teaches us. This is how you stay right. This is how you walk with the Lord. 
You know how you'll hear people say, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years now. The reason they've been walking with the Lord for 30 years is because they've been instructed in righteousness. They've been able to persevere. You want to find a believer or two that have been walking with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years and take them out to lunch and listen to them. Listen to what God has done in their life. Listen to how God has taken them through trials. It'll be worth your time as you grow in the grace of God. And so the Bible, notice, is profitable, verse 17, so that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's trustworthy. You can trust the Bible. It's in your hand. And you know, you'll be talking to people, right? You'll start sharing things with them, and you'll open the Bible to them, and they'll come up with some response that goes something like this. Oh, I don't believe in the Bible. It's just written by men. And that's kind of... Gets you off balance a little bit. You're like, how do I answer that? What is it? I'll give you the answer. You ready? Somebody comes and tells you, the Bible was just written by men. Here's your answer. You say, you're right. How did you know? Where did you learn that? Did you go to seminary to learn that? Where did you learn that? Of course it was written by men. It was written by holy men of God. You're right. You don't have to be stumbled by that. It was written by men of God that the Holy Spirit carried along and inspired through their personality, through their life, to the exact words that he wanted reserved for you and for me. It doesn't have to stumble you. The word of God written by holy men and preserved by the Holy Spirit to be the words that God wanted. That's why there were a lot of writings in the first century that weren't inspired by God. There were a lot of writings, a lot of letters, a lot of things floating around that weren't inspired by God. They weren't included in the scriptures. They might be valuable for historical purposes, They might be valuable to give some insight on what was going on in the time. For instance, the Apocrypha is a good example of that, not inspired by God. Good historically, but not really. There's a lot of contradictions in there. And when you come to the scriptures, I mean, think about the Bible is an incredible books. You go, wait a minute, Ed, that's bad grammar. No, 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 it's good grammar. The Bible is an incredible collection of books, 66 of them. Consider that The Bible is made up of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over a span of about 1,500 years, written in three different languages on three different continents. Men of different upbringings, from kings to farmers, from holy righteous men, government officials, regular everyday people, All of them writing, inspired by God. And when you go through the scriptures and you flip through every page, you will find that there's one consistent theme throughout the whole entire Bible on every page. And that theme is very simple. It's that God, the creator of the universe, loves you and cares for you and wants you to enter into a relationship with him. The Bible talks to us and teaches us about sin and how it's wrecked humanity. The Bible tells us how sin has wrecked humanity and separated man from God and man from man. We still deal with the consequences of sin today. The Bible teaches us not just sin in the general scope, but then the Bible teaches us that not only is man a sinner, but so are you and so am I, making me personally responsible for my sin. But as I recognize my sin in life, God then says, hey, I've got a way out for you. Because being apart from God, is not good. I can say to those of you right now that are not saved, that don't have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, your life is a wreck. It's a train wreck. Now, that doesn't mean you have to live on the street, in the gutter, 
in utter poverty in order for your life to be messed up. Because a lot of people live messed up lives self-deceived that things are okay. Because outwardly they look okay, they sound okay, things are going okay. But God wants more for you than just okay. He wants you to live a life that's full of life, full of abundance. He wants for you to have such a passionate relationship with him that the Holy Spirit not only comes in you, but outflows from you. He loves you so much. You know, the Bible describes a person in sin as hopelessly lost. The Bible uses the phrase dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. I mean, if we were to use an illustration, consider the ocean being a sea of sin. And you are stuck out in the middle of the deep, dark ocean. Not a ship, not a person, not a light, nothing. You're out there and you're stuck. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to swim and I'm going to swim and I'm going to swim until I find land. No, no, you're not. Land is miles and miles and miles away. You're going to get tired by then. The seas are choppy. Well, I'm just going to hope that somebody comes to rescue me. I, I need help. Yeah, but you know, help isn't anywhere near you. It's deep, dark. You only have a few hours. And so we use the illustration, right? You know, salvation is like somebody throwing you a a life preserver. I like it. It's a great illustration. But let me go one step further when you start to think of what God has done in the theme of the Bible. God just hasn't sent you a life preserver. He has jumped in the water himself to rescue you and carry you on his back. And I realize that now some of you are very resistant to love. It's very scary for you. It's very difficult for you to process. But might I suggest that what you're really dealing with is the reality that if you embrace a God of love, it's going to require great change in your life. And you just don't want to change. It's just not that important to you. Spiritual things have been put on a back burner for so long that your heart is so hard. The things that you're processing in your heart right now, the conviction of sin that's coming to you, you can respond to the theme of the scriptures, and that is God is passionately in love with you. His sin is only son, Jesus Christ, to live for you and die for you and rise again the third day so that as a relationship that you have with Jesus is with a living God, not a dead God, not an idol. Jesus is alive. And the Bible says that he's coming back again very soon, readying himself a bride. That bride is described as the church, you and I. Mm. Amazing stuff. So the Bible is inspired. It's profitable. So please, church, be very, very, very careful to not allow anyone to take that Bible out of your hands. Don't allow churches to do that. You know, their churches say, don't worry about the Bible. Don't worry. We'll take care of it for you. No, no, we won't take care of it for you. You need to take care of your own Bible. You need to have one. You need to use one. I mean, so much so that we have invested thousands of dollars as a church to make sure that anyone that walks through that needs a Bible can take one before they leave. It's that important to us. Some strong words of encouragement from Pastor Ed Taylor on the priority of the Bible in your life. Trust you're encouraged to get into the Word and get the Word into you. This is Abounding Grace. You'll find us on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Let me highlight some of the features. Look for our quick links, and you'll discover you can listen to our programs anytime you'd like. We also offer a free podcast, too, and you can read Pastor Ed's blog there as well. 
We've also made it super easy to donate to the ministry, and there's a place to contact us, too. Speaking of which, we'd sure like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of our study in Romans and if you're finding these daily studies helpful to your walk. We'd also very much appreciate your support as we present Abounding Grace here over the radio. Again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app that makes listening to Pastor Ed's teachings really easy to do. You can download the free app by searching for Calvary Aurora. Each month, Pastor Ed picks out a book that he believes can really help you grow in grace and be the person God wants you to be. Our pick of the month is The Third Option by Miles McPherson. I don't have to remind you that we're living in a racially divided nation. You may have even heard it said Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America today. Pastor Miles shares openly what has led to this great divide both within the church and across the country. He believes instead of choosing one of two sides, there is a third option, one that is proven to bring people together and promote genuine peace. That's the third option. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more. We ask that you call to place an order at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. We'll return to Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 